Welcome to Between the Lines, the podcast from Jewish Quest. My name is Simon Ida, and each week I'm joined by a special guest who helps us deconstruct that week's parasha, exploring new insights and meaning in the Torah. And this week, to explore with us parasha Ki Tissa, we welcome Dr. Eitan Fishbane, who is Associate Professor of Jewish Thought at JTS, where he teaches courses in the literature and history of Jewish mysticism from medieval Kabbalah to modern Hasidism. He is the author of seven books, including recently in 2018, The Art of Mystical Narrative, and more recently, a volume of his own original poetry, Jewish poetry really inspired by his work within the mystical tradition, Embers of Pilgrimage, published by Panui. And it is a great pleasure to have you with us today, and we look forward to exploring Kitissa with you. Thank you so much, Simon. It's really a terrific pleasure to be with you. So thank you for having me. There are several important, powerful elements of Parshat Kitissa that are ripe for spiritual reflection and rumination. In this reflection, I'd like to focus on that iconic and dramatic moment when Moshe, when Moses smashes the first tablets, the first luchot, upon descending Har Sinai, the mountain of Sinai, and witnessing the Israelites engaging in Abu Dazara engaging in idolatrous celebration of the golden calf in the camp below. And two explanations of this, which build upon earlier Jewish sources, Midrashic and mystical, are really quite relevant to the reflections I'd like to offer us for Kitisa. And the first which perhaps is a little bit more of the obvious one or is the more straightforward one, you might even say, is that Moshe is overcome by his anger and despair over seeing the abandonment of the faith of the Israelites and the worship of the golden calf, and that it reflects, I would suggest, the deep fragility and vulnerability of being human. On the one hand, there's this kind of sense of Moshe, who is this almost superhuman-like leader, this revered, idealized leader, who also in this moment reflects his own moment of brokenness, of fragility, of vulnerability that's expressed in being overtaken by his emotions, his inability to control his emotions in that moment, and to give in to the toxicity of rage one which parallels the rage expressed by none other than God himself and his stated inclination to destroy the people in response. The second interpretation, which I'd really like to dwell even more upon, of this iconic moment, which is rooted in a number of elements, a number of motifs expressed by ancient rabbinic midrashists and then later mystical thinkers as well, is that the breaking of the tablets, the breaking of the luchot, 
teaches us something else that is quite profound. And that is that they put forward this very powerful kind of metaphysical myth or this idea that because the first tablets were inscribed with the very finger of God, Etzba Elohim, it says in the biblical text and the writing of divinity, that the letters themselves were somehow a part of the divine being itself. They were part of the divine essence in some mysterious way, and they were the spiritual heavenly force that essentially carried or made light or made bearable for Moses the human to carry the otherwise unbearably heavy tablets of stone. These otiot, these letters inscribed by the Etzba Elohim, the finger of God, are the heavenly dimension that makes the heaviness of materiality of our physical world uplifted in that sense, or able to be carried in a different kind of way. But as these ancient Midrashists suggest, upon nearing the camp of idolatry, these heavenly letters, these extensions of divinity, were so repulsed by this betrayal on the part of the Israelites that they flew off the stone of their own accord. Otiot porchot, it says. They flew off the stone and back to their source in God thereby leaving the stone tablets that Moshe was carrying as mere unbearably heavy materiality, as the overwhelmingly burdensome nature of just that physicality. And because that weight of stone could not be carried by a human being without the infused lightness of those heavenly letters, the tablets, the Luchot, were then dropped really accidentally by Moshe in consequence, as opposed to the previous explanation, which is one of being overwhelmed by one's emotion of rage on Moshe's part and therefore smashing them. Really, this also relates to another Midrashic play to the Hebrew in the biblical text for the inscription of these letters and language on the tablets, what's called charut al-haluchot in the biblical text, charut al-haluchot. And this was read playfully by these older Midrashic interpreters as charut al-haluchot, freedom upon the tablets or liberation upon the tablets. And so, therefore, we can say that the divine inscription was one of freedom and liberation. It was the liberated ability to carry the unbearably heavy, the freedom to see spiritual depth and essence beneath the superficial veils of hardened materiality. That Cherut al-Haluchot, which is this Midrashic play on Charut al-Luchot, instead of inscribed, means freedom. They're very similar Hebrew words, just including the Yud for Cherut, somehow opens the mind, opens the heart. They make the burden of being human, the burden of carrying the weight of this materiality, this physicality, this stone 
of life that can sometimes be hard to bear. They make it light. They make it mysteriously and almost magically, mystically light. And what is more, these luchot of the Torah were likened by a number of thinkers in the tradition, and especially in the mystical tradition, they were likened also to the human heart itself. That the tablets, the luchot, they are the inner tablets, the inner Torah of the heart. And that God's writing is inscribed upon the luchot of my inner heart. And so what that means is that all too often, when we go about our lives with a hardened heart, morally and spiritually, unable to be empathic and compassionate, gracious and generous, unable to retain our connection to divinity, and instead falling into the idolatry of materialism and ego, right, to play on these different images in that scene. And we, we treat our lives and ourselves and those around us as just like the stone of the Luchot without the lightness and the inspiration of those divine letters, then we lose access to that spiritually uplifting nature of the divine and we harden our hearts. This moment of Moshe carrying the first Luchot, because this is different from the second Luchot, in which it doesn't say that it was inscribed by Elohim with the finger of God, that these Luchot ultimately represent how we carry our experience of being physical entities in this world who sometimes carry a heavy burden and who also encounter the world around us as materiality, as through the lens of our egos, through the lens of our obsession with superficiality. And it's only when we maintain that connection to the divine letters, as it were, in the same way that they were inscribed on Moshe's heart, we aspire to have them be inscribed on our hearts and to make our burden more bearable, but also to become aware of the fact that so many of us carry a heavy burden in life or that we go about our lives to some extent blinded or unable to see beyond the superficial veils of the material realm, and that it is only through that connection to the divine spiritual inspiration of the letters that our hearts are able to be light again, that our hearts are able to be sustained by that spiritual connection. I would also just add in concluding that this is also telling for us that eventually after the second tablets are given and that they are carried in the Aron, in the Ark, the tradition teaches us, and we find allusions to this also in the biblical text as well, but it certainly is elaborated upon in very interesting ways by rabbinic and later mystical sources, that the Luchot and the Shivrei Luchot, the second tablets, the whole tablets, and the broken tablets of the beginning are both carried inside the Aron, as though to say that that Aron symbolizes also the human being and ourselves. And so we carry within us both 
our brokenness that each person has experienced in their own way, and the wholeness that we've experienced, the beauties and the joys, and also certainly the wholeness that we aspire to. Dr. Fishbane, thank you so much for that wonderfully meditative and poetic exploration of the breaking of the tablets. What came to mind was that famous commentator, Leonard Cohen, from his 1992, I think, album, The Future, and the song, I think, Anthem, where he goes, there is a crack in everything, that's how the light gets in. And I was really wondering whether you might reflect on that seeming paradox that we have that is so maybe wonderfully captured by the line from that song that somehow brokenness leads to a kind of completeness that we also see very much in the tradition. And I think you've brought out. Beautiful. Another favorite quote of mine as well. It also reminds me of what Nachman of Bratslav, the late 18th century, early 19th century Ukrainian famous Jewish mystic, stated that really there is nothing so whole as a broken heart. That's building upon earlier ideas as well. But just to build upon what you're saying, that in many ways, our all too human inevitable experiences of brokenness, moments of sadness, moments of feeling the suffering that can be part of life, and certainly the wounds of ourselves and then the other more broadly as well, that also hopefully inspires us to try to heal some of that brokenness. And that also in that experience, if we can say, what does experiencing, in this case, the shivrei luchot, this brokenness of part of the heart, or this partial brokenness of the heart, how does that brokenness also teach a kind of deep wisdom about what it is to be human and what it is to try to live a pious or moral life or a good life. That crack in everything, that brokenness in everything, in everyone and the world around us, in the inevitability of our finitude and our mortality and the mortality of those we love, and in the wounds of the world at large, how does that ultimately give us a kind of deep insight, a new Torah wisdom even, into the very nature of being human and consequently also of being a Jew. I was wondering maybe finally in the very personal way, I think, that you're also speaking, whether, and apologies for putting you on the spot, but whether there might be a poem uh, part of a poem from your recent collection that maybe speaks to some of these themes and how you've reflected personally um, on this uh, on this important episode. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it does dovetail, actually, in, I think, profound ways. The poems in Embers of Pilgrimage are, on the one hand, there's, there's much about them that are mystic hymns and are reverberations of elements of previous tradition, Kabbalah, and so forth, about the mystic nature of reality. But it weaves in and out also with the very human experiences of loss and grief and death and nostalgia 
the original title actually for this volume was Nostalgia, and then I eventually evolved into Embers of Pilgrimage. And there are a number of poems that run throughout that do evoke some of those themes, right? So I'm about to read to you from my new book of original poetry, Embers of Pilgrimage, published by Panui. And this poem is called Ahavta, You Shall Love, You Must, a reflection on the interaction and dynamic relationship between the love that we experience between our fellow human beings and the quest to love God. Mountain stream, hidden, untouched, ancient, now revealed as open river life in motion, fresh water, salt marsh receiving ocean, all streams becoming one in the great absorbing sea. She is Sabbath, mystery of the hours, column of light, bridge through the span of time, was, is, will be, arc of becoming, future, kaleidoscope of the past, spaces and moments remembered. She is time in process, the present, here and now. Come with me, bride of my youth. Let us travel to the fields of crossing, boundaries of the in-between, where shadows rest and wild woods loom, hands folded on chest, eyes closed at the instant of sunset, love, commanded in mystery, ahavta, human and divine. I'm skipping to a slightly later part of the poem that I think it would be very relevant for us here. Love pouring forth like wine. You are loved with a boundless love. Fragments of Torah scattered on this earth. Otherworldly particles thrown gleaming into rooms of soul and heart interior, crumbs of light illuminating the darkest wood, forest desolation and fearsome solitude, mitzvot, the slow kisses of divine love, aching for desire returned in the resounding quiet of midnight's bedroom, in the stillness of the small sanctuary, in the house of study, after midnight. Prayer alone in the woods, raised by the music of grass and trees, or in the minion room, solitude in the crowd, love letters to a soulmate, exhilaration of confession, his quest for home, across the void of a dark expanse, home. In this landscape of alienation, the suffering of being human, his heart opened in muted yearning to that ahavat olam, love eternal.
Dr. Fishbein, thank you so much for sharing your mystical analysis and, and also your poetry on related themes. We look forward to exploring further Parshiot with a similar lens in future. So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, well, thank you for having me. It was an absolute delight and um, wishing Shabbat Shalom to everybody. Thank you. If you like this podcast, please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, do find out all about our exciting content that we have at our mothership, jewishquest.org. And we do look forward to meeting again next week. <laughs> <laughs>